um, if, if you look at the passage, it says in verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and, dis- and debate with them. A sharp dispute and debate. Now, when you see those, those I, I thought, that's interesting. Disputing and debating are actually two different ideas. And if you go and you look at the, there was a near riot. That first phrase can be used to refer to a riot, dispute. This was a massive situation. I mean, you know, a very large blow up. There were probably people raising their voices. And they had a debate. That, that means they were exchanging their ideas. So they were exchanging their ideas loudly. It was contentious. There was lots of, it, it was an, 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 you know, an embroiled situation. And they're all there and they're having this, why? Aren't we supposed to be nice and loving and kind and, and aren't we all supposed to get along and we all love Jesus and doesn't that, isn't that the thing that matters? Yes, that, that does matter. But, but, who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? How is that applied to you? See, there, there are questions and those questions matter because if you tinker with those or if you add something to the equation, now you have a gospel. Paul says, if, if, if anyone preaches a gospel to you other than the gospel I preach to you, he says some very strong things. Let him be accursed. Let him be cut off. If an angel preaches to you a gospel different from the one that I preach, very strong language. And so they were in a very sharp debate, a very heated debate, because these are the things of eternal significance, and they matter. So let me just encourage you, don't run from doctrine. Everybody says doctrine divides, right? Doctrine divides. No, doctrine doesn't divide. I mean, it, okay, no, it does divide, <laughs> but it also unites in a very, um, in a very special way. I'm going to show you how that, that works in, in a minute. Are we divided over doctrine? Yes. The church is divided. In fact, today, even yet still, right now, the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Protestant churches are separated, and they're largely separated still because of the issue of how are we made right with God? That's why you have a, a Roman Catholic Church, and that's why you have an Eastern Orthodox Church, and that's why you have the Protestant churches. Because, there's a, because there is a divide over that question, the very question that this Jerusalem Council was attempting to deal with. This, this, uh, this week and this weekend, I'm at a, uh, um, I left yesterday, was, I was in, I'm not going to say it right, Smyrna? Is it Smyrna or Smyrna? Smyrna. I'm in Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, so we have our General Assembly this week in Atlanta. And uh, and starting yesterday was the chaplain's convocation where all the military and civilian chaplains get together. And there are about 110 of us there. And, and we're at Smyrna Presbyterian Church. And that's where we're meeting. And so we were meeting yesterday. And it was really interesting. One of the guys stood up and he said, 
I am so, we were doing our introductions, and he said, I just want to say I'm so encouraged to be here because there are so many places, he's a civilian chaplain, he said there's so many places where when I'm with a group, I don't, I don't feel that sense of belonging. I don't feel that same spirit. I'm not generally encouraged because there's nothing that really unites me. But here, I know I'm united with you all and what we believe. And it was really neat, right? So here's this whole group of military chaplains, civilian chaplains spread all over the place. But we get to come together and the same gospel is uniting us. The same understanding of who we are in Christ draws us together. Okay, And so the gospel um, unites us. It, it draws us together. We'll see that more in, in a minute. So, But here they are. They've come together. They have this, this issue, and the, the issue is, and, and when you see they wanted, they're supposed to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses, the issue was when you see that circumcision and then attached to the law of Moses, they're talking about the Levitical laws, the, the dietary restrictions. You had to wear certain clothes, all of the things that you had to do in addition to. All of those things were things that they wanted to require of the new Gentile converts. And that's what brought them all into this sharp dispute. But listen, don't be afraid of the discussion of doctrine. Doctrinal matters are things that we should tend to in your own life, in the life of the church, in the life of the denomination. This week at General Assembly, I have no doubt there are going to be discussions had that will be heated and and challenging, and they will somehow center around doctrinal issues. It's probably not going to be the doctrine of justification, thankfully, but it'll be something else. And that's okay. The second thing that we see here is that doctrinal matters like justification and sanctification promote liberty. These important doctrines promote liberty. That is, they promote the freedom of the believer. And, and I want you to see that in the way that Peter talks about it beginning in verse, in verse 7. So as they've come together, some of the Pharisee, the brothers who are Pharisees, stood up and said the Gentiles have to be circumcised, required to keep the law of Moses. They had lots of discussion, verse 7. Peter got up and he said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Gospel, simply good news. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Okay, so there's verse 8 kind of gives that. Peter says, look, we've already seen the Holy Spirit poured out, the, out on the Gentiles and nothing else additional happened. And he did that to them exactly the way he did that to us. And then he says in verse 9, he did not discriminate between them and us. He purified their hearts, what? By faith. Verse 10, he says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. And then, and Jim gave a little emphasis there, no, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, this was a big deal. He's saying, look, Gentiles, Jews, saved exactly the same way. And he says, why would you take 
the yoke. And you all, we've talked about what a yoke is before, right? The yoke is that heavy beam that was used to take two beasts of burden and, and tie them together so that they moved in the same direction. It, it was kind of the, the controlling factor in them working together. And he says, why would you put a yoke? Why would you, why would you yoke them to something that kills them? Something that drains their spirit, something that, that drives out of them um, the desire to live for God. Something that they cannot bear. They can't bear the yoke. And he says, listen, our ancestors couldn't bear that yoke. We were unable to bear that yoke. And our ancestors couldn't bear it. Why would we now give it to the Gentiles? And what he's saying is, why would we place a requirement on them that we can't even bear ourselves? And that has implications for us today, right? Why, why would we put on ourselves and put on other people requirements that simply aren't there? We, we do it all the time. We have our own little lists of dietary restrictions, things we, we won't drink. Things we shouldn't do. We go, I don't do that. I, I don't do this. I don't do the other. As if somehow, right, that is giving us credit and credence to God. But those are additional items. There's, there's nothing there. And so the gospel promotes liberty, freedom in Christ. It doesn't burden us. It doesn't saddle us. It frees us to live for him. And in this situation, obviously they were trying to saddle them with these extra restrictions and Peter just says, "No. You're saved by grace through faith." Now, I want you to think about that. Saved by grace through faith. But but don't you have to do things? To be saved? No. You're saved by grace through faith alone. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no man can boast. Listen, I'm not preaching the gospel, and you're not hearing the gospel if you don't often ask yourself the question, well, I should be able just to do whatever I want then. Because until you've heard the gospel that crystal clear, until you've laid in bed and thought, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to. I can do whatever I want. Until you've kind of pushed the envelope and you're thinking that direction, you probably haven't understood the biblical truth on salvation by grace through faith. You've got to get to that point where you're like, I have complete and total freedom. Listen, I was a seminary student. I know what that looks like to feel like you've got complete and total freedom. Right? Yeah. And you want to push that envelope where you're right there. And then you, and then you go the next step and you read what Paul says in Galatians 6. I mean, no, Romans 6. And then he says, no, we died to all that. Now we get to live liberty. We get to live for Him in life. All right, let's look at the third thing quickly. Thirdly, finally, doctrinal matters can and often do promote unity. 
another C.S. Lewis quote, that's two in one sermon, but he says, Seek unity, and you find neither unity nor truth. Seek the light of truth, and you will find unity and truth. Listen, honestly, what typically what we want to say is, look, in order to be unified, let's just water everything down and get, let's just get down to the, just a very thin veneer. And right there, that's where we'll find unity, right? Then people will, they will flood in the doors. The problem is once they flood in the doors and they have 15 different ideas, there is no unity. And so Lewis, C.S. Lewis says, seek truth and out of truth will come unity. Then you will find it, right? You'll be drawn together uh, for the same things. In, in the passage that we have, right, what happens? They came together. They discussed. They hashed it out. They went back and forth. Uh, the leaders in the church stood up and they made their statements. And in the end, what did they do? They all came together and they crafted a letter and they sent it to the church and said, here is what we agree on. Your salvation is by grace through faith. And they put an addendum on there. And I, and I want you to see the addendum because if you read through the passage, some of you are going to be really, you're, you're probably going to be confused because what happens in the passage is at the very end of the letter, they say, oh, and by the way, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you avoid these things. Now, what is he doing? What, what are they doing there? And, and here's what they're doing. That's a part of unity. A part of unity is looking at your brother and going, you know, if I do that, that's going to cause him some struggles. Okay? If, if I exercise that freedom, did the Gentiles have freedom to eat whatever food they wanted? Absolutely. But in the context of lots of Jews being there together and lots of Gentiles being together, what the, what the Jerusalem church said to them was they looked at him and they said, look, you are free in Christ. But what we would encourage you to do is to abstain from doing these certain things because those are, those are well known and, and, and that's going to promote a struggle in the hearts of those brothers that you're there worshiping with. So if you would abstain from those, it will make everything work smoother and better and you won't offend them and they won't offend you because they're not going to put on your, your neck anything else other than trusting in Christ by faith. And so, what they did was they said, look, here we are. We're unified in the gospel. And oh, by the way, that unity encourages us to think about our brothers and things that may be a struggle for them. And if you avoid those things, if, if you just look the other way, if you just don't eat those food items and, and do those things, that will help your brothers in Christ and will advance the gospel. And so they gave them that encouragement. And by all accounts, that's what happened until more brothers came. So we read the text in Galatians 2 until another wave comes and another wave. Why? Because that is always the challenge. Our challenge is to keep that gospel in the middle lane. We're, we're, we are so often tempted to add to it or to, or to try to minimize it. And, and so, um, Marianne read for you the Galatians 2 passage in which we see, again, some, some point later down the road in the Galatian church, that issue rose up and it's always rising up. We have it in our church. We have it in, in our denomination. 
the struggle on both sides. And so as we kind of think about that gospel, we think about what uh, what it does as it draws us together, as, as doctrine unites us. This morning, we have a real picture of that as we get to come to the Lord's Supper. We get to come to His table, a table that unites the body of Christ. Because what we do here is we profess, we confess that the Lord Jesus is all that is needed for salvation. What does he say? He says, it proclaims the Lord's death until he comes again. And so it's a proclamation, a bold proclamation by us as we come to the Lord's Supper. We are saying with one voice as a congregation, the Lord Jesus is all that is needed for salvation. Nothing else. His blood, His righteousness is enough. And that's what we see in the Supper. Let me pray for us. Father, you're good to us. We thank you and we praise you for, um, first, for the diligence of the apostles in the early church as they worked their way through those issues and, and as they framed them in ways that are helpful for us even today. And Father, we just need to be reminded that Christ is enough. So easy, so tempting to think that other things need to happen in order for us to be right with you. And the reality is, faith in Christ alone is enough. As we move now to this table, Father, we ask that you'll nourish us by it for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the 